So I just had a conversation with a client not long ago who recently took a trip to a different country and he wanted to continue training during his travel. Uh, but now, obviously, he's going to be using a different gym. At home, he used to have a training program that was tailored to him. It had certain exercises that were specific to the equipment that he had available in his home gym. He has been progressing on it for a few months. And understandably, this new gym environment broke his momentum a little bit. He won't be able to perform certain lifts because he doesn't have the same machines or cable stack there. And it's not only annoying because he will have to improvise a little but because he is not sure whether he is progressing since he won't be able to rely on his training log, which is, of course, filled with numbers that are specific to his regular equipment. And not only that, but since he is on this trip, he also wants to mix up his training schedule a little bit and would want to be a bit more flexible with the whole thing than he is usually. And his concern is that he doesn't know how his mixed up training routine, where he might do an upper lower split, for instance, will measure up against his regular program where he did daily full body sessions. And our discussion brought up a couple of questions which I think are worth discussing here. And maybe the next time when I get a question like this, I can just direct people to this episode. So the questions he asked me were, for one, how do I select exercises when I don't have access to my regular equipment at home? Two, how do I modify my split when I can't be in the gym for the same number of training days? Three, how do I know if I'm still progressing since I will have to start with new weights and new numbers on a lot of lifts? And four, and perhaps most importantly, I, and I think this is where we should start since it will tie into all the other th questions too, what are the bare bone core fundamental components of training, which as long as I'm taking those off, I'll be fine. So let's dive into these. So first, if someone asks you, uh, look, I've been following a custom designed nutritional plan, my calorie intake, macronutrient intake, my food choices, even micronutrients were tailored to my needs to the best of my abilities, and I could make it work pretty easily with my home food environment, I was feeling great, performing great, but now I'll be in a different place and I just can't do the same things and I can't be that meticulous with everything. So please tell me what do I do so that I can still be on track with things and I don't lose all my progress, but I also don't drive myself crazy with being so meticulous. Well, probably most of you would say, look, bro, just get your protein in for the day and try to hit your calorie intake approximately and you will do fine, right? And your reasoning would probably be that while there are a lot of diets and macronutrient combinations and foods that can work roughly equally effectively, the science is pretty darn clear on the idea that protein is really important to optimize muscle growth and muscle retention, whereas calorie intake is critical for body weight and body fat management. So those would be the bare bone, non-negotiable components of dieting. But what about training? What is something that is as fundamental to training as calories and protein are to nutrition? Well, I would argue that it would be intensity of effort or proximity to failure and volume. Because while there are a lot of things that can be important to optimizing your training, such as your training frequency, your training intensity or percentage of 1RM, your rest periods or your repetition tempo, one thing is for sure that 
if you don't take your sets anywhere close to failure, and if your training volume is way too low or way too high, you're not going to stimulate muscle growth very effectively. So the first thing that is important to think about ahead of everything else is the amount of sets you had in your regular program and the proximity to failure you were shooting for in each of your sets. So if you trained your chest, for example, with 10 sets a week and each set was taken one rep shy of failure, then that is your first priority. Get in 10 weekly sets with one rep in the tank on each set. And look at it this way. If you do this, so you keep your weekly set number and proximity to failure the same, but you change your exercise selection and your training frequency is completely mixed up, um, the overall stimulus that you're exposing your muscles to on the whole might change 10 to 20%. But if you change your weekly volume, so instead of 10 sets, you do 5 and your proximity to failure goes from one rep in the tank to four reps in the tank, you might wipe out all the meaningful training stimulus. So intensity of effort or proximity to failure and training volume are the biggest fundamentals. They are the protein and calories of your training, so to speak. Now, what about things like exercise selection? Well, I would say that exercise selection to training for muscle growth is a bit like food choices for body composition in that Protein and calories are the most important for body comp, but if you get all your protein from grain products, then you might tick off all the boxes according to your MyFitnessPal account, but in practice, protein from bread just doesn't count the same way as it counts from eggs and beef because of the differing essential amino acid content of these foods as well as the digestibility. So similarly with exercise selection, it's not nearly as important for muscle growth as volume and proximity to failure, but if you mess it up completely, it will make a meaningful difference. So I'd say with exercise selection, there are two main things to keep in mind. The first obvious thing is that you want to actually hit the muscle groups that you hit before, or at least the ones that are important to you. So if you want to keep training your biceps, it's important that the exercises you do will actually hit the biceps, which in this case is fairly straightforward because it's pretty easy to spot whether you're actually performing a curling motion. <laughs> but with some muscle groups, it can be a bit more gray since depending on how you look at things, you could argue, for example, that chin-ups and rows are equally effective exercises for the lats, which I would argue they aren't, even though many exercise directories would list them under the exercises for the lats tab. So I think an easy way to look at the situation would be to simply perform exercises that move the muscles through similar planes. So pull-ups might be replaced by some similar vertical pull, like a neutral or underhand grip chin-up or a lat pull-down. A cable curl might be replaced by a barbell curl or a squat might be replaced by a split squat, which you could argue are not hitting the muscle in the exact same way, but they are pretty darn close. And then the other consideration I would say you should have in mind for exercise selection is when you're picking exercises which you're not used to doing, you should be ideally choosing ones that don't have very large technical components to them. Because the larger the skill element of any given exercise, the more your nervous system will need to adapt to it and learn to perform the exercise correctly, which theoretically might compromise your ability to maximally exert yourself on that exercise, thereby you could reduce your muscle building capacities via that exercise for the time being. So for instance, replacing a concentration curl with a standing dumbbell curl or preacher curl, it probably doesn't make any difference because the only thing you're doing with these exercises is curling the weight up. So varying these exercises 
probably doesn't have a large impact on your muscle building potential. But if you're switching from back squats to front squats or you're doing military presses for the first time, these exercises are pretty technical. So unless you want to commit to doing them for the next several weeks at least, it's probably better not to switch them in for just one week because it's questionable how effective mass builders they will be for that time period. But with a lot of pull-up and chin-up variations, machine work, isolation work for the shoulders and arms, it probably just doesn't matter how much you switch things up here and there. So that would be exercise selection. Just pick movements that are similar in terms of the planes through which you train the muscle and you're probably safe. And then pick movements that don't involve a very large technical component. And of course, if you can actually do the same movements, which in many cases you will be able to do, like in the case of barbell movements, it's all the better. Now, next thing I wanna touch on is training frequency. And again, training frequency is kinda like meal frequency in the case of nutrition, it doesn't matter much unless you do something ridiculous. Like you can probably build muscle effectively by eating anywhere from two to, well, many more times than that a day. I'm not sure there's an upper limit where you can eat too frequently and that will actually hinder your muscle building ambitions. And you might actually be able to build muscle just fine by eating only one time per day. But one thing is for pretty sure that if you eat less than one time per day, so you eat every second day, let's say, you're probably going to significantly limit, if not eliminate your muscle building potential completely. Now, who does that in practice? Probably not many people. But again, it's one of those things that if you mess things up sufficiently, it can become the limiting factor by itself. And similarly with training frequency, you can probably make better progress by training a muscle group two, three, in some cases even more times per week compared to only one time per week. But training a muscle group only once per week is probably going to get you pretty good results as long as your weekly volume and intensity of effort are in check. So if you've been training six days a week at home with an upper-lower rotation and now you want to be in the gym less days of the week to give yourself more flexibility, do three full body sessions or do four full body sessions and distribute the volume over those four days. It doesn't really matter, honestly. And emphasis is on doesn't really matter. Now it does matter to some extent, but let's put it this way. If you trained each muscle group four days a week so far and it was working great for you, you can probably make 70 to 90% of the gains by training that only once per week. And if we look at this pessimistically and say that it's only 70% of the gains over multiple years, that might add up to a meaningful difference. If over five years you could gain 15 pounds of muscle if you got 100% of the gains, 70% of the gains is only 10 pounds. But, you know, for a few weeks here and there, it's not even a blip on the radar. So that would be training frequency. And then the final thing is progressive overload, which is perhaps the thing that most people are worried about. And... I'll try to just break it down very simply why it's probably not warranted to worry a lot about progressive overload in the short term when it comes to your training. Now, I made a video about this on my YouTube channel. It was called Progressive Overload is a Benchmark, Not a Goal. And if you haven't seen that, I'd recommend you check it out. And if you understand that video, you will also understand why it's probably not worth fretting over the fact that you won't be able to compare your performance in your new gym, wherever that will be, to your training log from your old gym. So the long story short is this, and we'll be using a nutritional analogy here once again. 
progressive overload to your training is like stepping on the scale to check your weight during a weight loss diet. It's the diet and the calorie deficit that is driving your fat loss, whereas checking your weight on the scale is a benchmark to see if what you're doing is working or not. So similarly, in the case of training, looking at your training log and seeing if you beat your previous training session is an indication that you successfully adapted to your training and that you're on the right track. But it's the core components of your training, like doing enough volume, but not too much volume, and pushing yourself close to failure, but not all the way to failure, and doing the right exercises. These are the things that are driving the training adaptation. Now, of course, you can come back at this and say that, well, but you do need to overload if you want to keep growing. So the analogy with with a fat loss diet and the weight scale is not completely right. And I would agree. So the complete analogy would be more like progressive overload to your training is like stepping on the scale, checking your weight, and based on your weight, adjusting your calorie intake. So if the weight is stalling for, let's say, two weeks, that is an indication that you're no longer in a calorie deficit because maybe your body has adapted to your current intake a little bit. So you would probably want to drop your calories a bit further. So similarly with training, if you've successfully adapted to your training stimulus, In the real world, you would probably increase the weight or do more reps to ensure that your training is still equally challenging like it was last week before your body has adapted to your latest bout of training. Now, if you can follow the analogy, what would you do if you had no access to a bodyweight scale, wouldn't have access to body fat calipers, and just for a ridiculous thought experiment, let's say you couldn't even visually assess your progress because you didn't have any mirrors nearby and let's say your neck was in a cast so you couldn't even look down to see your physique. And goddammit, let's say you couldn't even guesstimate your calories because you were in a completely new food environment and the foods there are not listed in MyFitnessPal and you had no idea what the calories are in those foods you're eating. How would you ensure that you're still in a calorie deficit? Well, probably you would try to eat as little as you can based on your appetite. And if you knew that, okay, I'm definitely not overstuffing myself, I'm being hungry here and there during the day, I'm probably in a calorie deficit. And I don't even really need to quantify my progress to know that it's happening. Similarly, with weight training, if you push yourself to the same RIR, so the same proximity to failure on your sets, then you can pretty confident that you've selected the right weight and you perform the right number of reps to drive the adaptation. Now, when you're in a new gym, you might not be able to quantify whether you've progressed since your last workout in your old home gym, but if up until that point you were progressing with your program and now you pushed yourself to the same proximity to failure, you can be quite sure that you did progress. The important thing is, is that by the time you're performing that same lift in your new gym, you should be a bit stronger. And of course, that when you're returning to your regular gym, you will be stronger there compared to when you left on your trip. So I wouldn't fret too much about quantifying your progressive overload acutely for these reasons. So in summary, proximity to failure and volume are to your training what calories and protein are to nutrition. If you take them off, you'll probably be fine. And all the other stuff don't matter that much, so long as you're not doing something absurd with them. And actually, this is exactly how I'll be modifying my training for the upcoming time period when I will be traveling home for Christmas and I will probably have to get by doing some bodyweight training and home workouts and training in some random gyms here and there. So hopefully this helped out someone amongst you who is planning on traveling for the upcoming time period. 
I may be turning this episode into an article for sustainablesselfdevelopment.com so you can read this anytime. But in any case, I hope you found this episode informative and helpful. And I guess that's all I had to say. So with all of that, see you next time. Alright guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and liked what you heard. And if you did, then I think you'd definitely love our SSD training and nutritional course that we recently put out with Burger Fuggerly. This program not only contains a 12-week phasic training program that you can use to time efficiently and safely build the best body you can, but also gives you four plus hours of video lectures about managing your nutrition and lifestyle to not only look good, but feel and perform optimally. So if this sounds interesting to you, then go ahead and check out sustainableselfdevelopment.com. And of course, to not miss out on future episodes like this, subscribe to the podcast and you'll be up to date on everything we'll be putting out. So thank you for hanging around up until now and see you next time.